Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. And the series that we're launching today, I've been pretty excited about doing for a little while. It is called The Five Money Myths, or Five Myths About Money and the Church. And I I guess the reason why we want to do this is because there are just so many myths out there about money and the church. And I guess people believe a lot of different things. A lot of things have been said, but I think it's important to know, and maybe surprising to some, that Jesus speaks about money or or, uh, wealth in half of his parables. He talked about it in half of his parables. In fact, how about this? In the Bible, if you look through it, it talks about wealth and possession over 2,000 times. It seems to be a topic that comes up over and over again. It seems to be uh, important to God. It's important to Jesus because He spoke about it a lot. And so I think we absolutely need to speak about it. And this series is all about busting some myths because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's said about there. So I'm going to get to today's myth in just a second. But let me tell you about the series. Let me tell you about where we're going. Next week, I'm going to share a message on the church just wants your money. Boy, I can't wait to preach that message. I'm really looking forward to it, right? So, so I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but the church just wants your money. Uh, week number three, I'm talking about giving makes me generous. Any kind of giving. If I don't have to give and I give something, anything, suddenly I'm a generous person. Is that really true? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Week number four, Uh, I'm going to talk about something called God's will, God's bill. Come on, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he wants it, why doesn't he just pay for it? Well, that will be a very interesting message. And then in the last week of this series, uh, we're going to share a message about giving makes you rich. We're actually going to talk about prosperity doctrine and uh, how that has crept its way into the church and what we really believe uh, uh, about that. But let me talk to you today about today's myth. And this is really where we're going for the series. I mean, if, if I can't do this message very well, my gosh, we probably don't really need the rest of the weeks, right? But here is the myth, and you may have heard this many, many times before, and it's this idea, is that money isn't spiritual. Money's not spiritual. And I guess if money's not spiritual, well, in that case, the church just probably shouldn't even talk about it. We shouldn't be doing messages on it because money isn't spiritual. Is that really true? Well, you know what? That's what we're going to find out today. Now, to me, it's really interesting. uh, Whenever we talk about money, someone, somewhere, somehow, someway is probably going to get offended, right? Uh, Thank God we just did a whole series on the issues of the heart because this is one of the issues that seems to just pop up in people's lives. You know what? I, I found it to be true that people that genuinely get offended when, when, whenever we talk about money, and to be totally transparent, I probably haven't even spoken about this enough. I probably should have talked about it more. But hey, here we are today. And, and so the people that seem to get offended about talking about money, right, are normally the people with small wallets and tight fists. And uh, I really believe that, genuinely, I do, because they don't want to be generous and they don't want to give. So when we talk about it, there's something that happens. It's like a, a trap is just sprung in their heart and suddenly they get upset about it. And yet Jesus spoke about it in half his parables. Come on, I already said this. Church has, or Bible talks about it. Uh, 
over 2,000 times about money and possessions. So why don't we just look at God's Word today and see exactly what He says about it. So what I want to do is share one of the parables of Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to read this to you out of Matthew chapter 25. And uh, boy, if you have not done your Bible reading this week, uh, I'm going to catch you on up today because I've just got a, a, a fair chunk of Scripture to read to you. But let me summarize the first part of this so it doesn't go for, for too long. So I'm going to read to you out of Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And it's a story where, that, where Jesus tells a parable about a, a master that gives talents to his steward. Now, if you don't know what a talent is, it's a measurement of weight. It's about 75 pounds. So, you know, not enough to bench press, but still pretty heavy to carry around. All right. So, so here it is, 75 pounds. And uh, he comes along to three stewards and he gives them uh, different amounts of talents. So to the first steward or to the first guy, he gives him five talents. To the second person, he gives him two talents. And to the last guy, he gives him one talent. The first two take the talents that have been given to him. They go and they trade it. The last guy, he buries it. He keeps it because he doesn't know what he's going to do with it. And we're going to find out why in just a moment, right? And this is where we pick it up in verse 19. It says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. He said, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. So he got a pass mark. He did very, very well. You know, verse 22, it says, And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He did well, well as well. Okay, last one. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward going, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. So we just gave back to him what he had given to the servant, right? Verse 26, his master answers him. He says, you wicked and slothful. Some translations say lazy. You lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. So he gives it to the guy who has the most. Look at this next part. This is very important. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and, and underline this part, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That just sounds horrible, doesn't it? You know, the longer I have been a Christian, the more I get God. I do. I, mean, I remember 
you know, make a decision to follow Jesus. And I started reading the Bible and I'd see, you know, stuff in there that I didn't understand. And I would say to God, why do you do this? And why do you say that? And why did you act that way? But a lot of those questions have been answered for me now. The longer I've been a Christian, the more I just get God, you know? So look, I have three kids. They're all beautiful. I want to tell you a story about one. I won't mention her name. Um, just to protect her identity, but uh, she has what we would consider to be a floor drobe, okay? It's not a wardrobe. I have two other kids that have wardrobes. She has what we call a floor drobe. And I'm serious about this. Like if I go into her bedroom, I cannot even see the carpet. You think this is a joke? I swear before God, I cannot see the carpet. It's crazy. And so I go in, I look around, right? And, and I'm I, I, I kind of understand what God was saying in, the, in this parable because I look at what she has and I have tried to find multiple, multiple, multiple ways to motivate her to get that room really clean and tidy. Now she's young and she's working on some stuff, right? But come on, we want to work on this. And so uh, I'm trying to find a way to move her and motivate her. And then I came up with this thing and I said this well before I even wrote this message, I promise you. And I said, well, if you can't even look after the clothes that you've got, then I will take away your clothes and give them to someone else who will hang them in their cupboard and they'll appreciate their clothes. And she said, oh, no, no, don't take away my clothes. Even from the one who has, I will take it away, right? So this is what I'm saying. I, I just get God. I, I understand it. Now, if I was to give those clothes away, which by the way, I have not done, but if I did and I gave them to someone who looked after it, right? Anyone that looks after their possessions or looked after what, what they have, right? We would probably just call that person a steward. A steward looks after things, okay? They appreciate what they have. In fact, stewardship is a value that we have here at Bright Church. We say this as part of our values. We say we want to be great stewards. We manage what we have so we can be generous to people in need, okay? And so that is what we would call stewardship, all right? So here's the myth. Money isn't spiritual. Oh, yes, it is. The Bible calls it stewardship and God takes it really serious. And I mean really serious. Like, like probably more serious than you know, more serious than you imagine. And by the end of this message, you will get just how serious God looks at stewardship. I see, I think that our problem is that sometimes... We think we know how God would think. And sometimes we measure what God says against how we think. And sometimes we feel like he's wrong. Like, God, that can't be right. Let me, let me show you what I mean. There's a, there's a story in John chapter 8 about an adulterous woman. Okay, so kind of a sad story in many ways. And if you don't know the story, let me just, you know, catch you on up and give you the summary. Okay, so there's this woman and, uh, you know, the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the day, they catch her in the act of adultery, right? What a horrible thing. I mean, the sad part about this is they must have known that this woman was going to behave like this. And they find a way that they can leverage her situation to try to trap Jesus. Jesus is growing in popularity and, you know, people love Jesus. And they're like, well, hang on, let's find a woman that is that, you know, needs to 
be punished in, in some way. And let's put her before Jesus and see what Jesus will do. And here's the trap that they're setting for him. If Jesus says she needs to be punished, then the people won't like him as much. And if Jesus says she doesn't need to be punished, then they'll say you can't listen to him because he doesn't obey the law of Moses. So here's the scenario. They get this woman, throw her before Jesus, and they say, here, Jesus, we have caught this woman in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says that we should stone her. And then she says, and they say to him, what do you say, Jesus? Well, Jesus does something really interesting. He takes a moment and he actually, you know, gets down on her level. He actually writes something. This is the only recording ever of Jesus ever writing. And he writes something in the dirt. And he says something interesting to all the Pharisees, he says, okay, well, well, he who's without sin, you cast the first stone. The moment that he does that, suddenly they realize, man, he's just got us again. You know, Jesus was so clever. And it says that the Pharisees began to walk away because they realized, hey, we all have sin. We've all made mistakes. And so he says to this woman, has anyone condemned you? And she says, no, my Lord. And he says, well, hey, I'm not going to condemn you either. So he doesn't give her permission to sin, but he actually, he says, go and sin no more. Now, today I've told you two stories, all right? So on one hand, we've got this woman, this 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 woman caught in the act of adultery, this homewrecker, right? Ruining relationships and all the rest of it, right? And then on the other side, well, I've, I've told you a story, which is a, just a made-up story that Jesus told about a guy that just mismanages his money. Now, what's interesting to me is how the stories end. Because the story about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery ends with Jesus being loving and gracious and saying, go away and sin no more. But the guy that mismanages his money is thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you serious? Are you serious? Like, do you ever just read the Bible sometimes and go, this just doesn't even make sense to me? Like, if I was to ask you genuinely, if I said to you, which is the worst sin? And someone's going to say, oh, come on, all sin's the same. Well, yeah, it's the same in the sense that all sin means that we can't enter into the presence of God. That's why we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, okay? So, so we understand that. But come on, there, there, there are different kinds of sins, right? So, so like, you know, um, like a, like a four-letter word is not the same thing as murdering someone, okay? If I say, well, which was worse? You're like, yeah, the murder, okay? That was a lot worse, right? So, so yes, all sin is bad and it all, you know, excludes us from being able to enter into heaven except by God's grace. But at the same time, come on, we know that there are probably some, some levels in here as well. So if I said to you, what is worse, committing adultery or mismanaging your finances, surely everyone, even if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, you would say, come on, the woman that's caught in adultery, look at what she did. Look at how she behaved. That is clearly the worst sin. And I'd be inclined to agree with you, except when I read the scriptures. See, and this is part of the problem. When we read the Bible, what we're supposed to be doing is aligning our thinking with God's word. Too often what we do is we come to the scriptures with our preconceived ideas about what God's word says. And we say, now, how does this fit into what I you know, already believe to be true about God? So if I have to like align my thinking with the scriptures that I read, it becomes a little bit difficult. But if we were to do that, this parable would teach us a very important principle that I want to teach you today. This is very important. Listen, you are eternally responsible for how you use your temporal possessions. All right. You are eternally responsible for how you use your temporal possessions. So as Christian people, 
you should know something that we are not judged on our sins. Why? Well, because if you put your faith in Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, he's already paid the penalty for your sins. We call that the gospel. That's an invitation that's open to every single person, no matter your background, your history, no matter what you've done. So none of your sin will be held against you. You are completely forgiven. You become a new creation in Christ. So when you become a Christian, you will get into heaven by God's grace, okay? Uh, you will not be judged on your sin, but you will absolutely be judged on your life. And I think this is the part that sometimes people forget. So how does this work? Well, Jesus does a little bit of an investigation and he will, you'll have a sit down with him. And when you do that, he will look at your life and he will say, how were you at following me? There's a whole heap of areas that God will probably look at or Jesus will look at in your life. He'll look at, were you a lazy person? You know, like, did you work hard? Did you, did you do much? He will say, uh, did you follow me closely? Did, did you build the kingdom of God? I mean, did, you, did you share your faith? Did you talk about what, what I have done for you? I mean, I, I paid the penalty for your sins. I just asked you to talk about it. Did, did you do that? And so there's all these areas that, will, that Jesus will look at in our lives. And if this parable teaches us something uh, or anything, it's that he will look at our finances and he will say, did you sow into the kingdom of God? Did you give financially into the kingdom of God. See, when, when we read this passage about the parable of the talents, in verse 19, I started with this one line. After a long time, the master returned, okay? Well, if you understand what that means to be true, after a long time, commentators will say that actually is supposed to mean at the end of the age. So what it, that's meant to mean is Jesus, when he returns, he will hold people, not just the three stewards, but everyone accountable for how they've lived. Now, everyone, let me tell you, there are, there are two ways that you can meet Jesus. Uh, one is that you can die and meet him first, or he'll come back and meet you on the way. So you got two ways that you can meet him, but every single person is going to meet him. And at the end of the age, he will sit down and begin to try to sort out who's who and how people have lived their lives. So when we get to the end, here's what we discover, that there are rewards and there are judgments. And this is an, another important thing that you need to understand. There is an eternal reward that is proportionate to your temporal investment. There is an eternal reward that's proportionate to your temporal investment. We live for such a short period of time. And in that short period of time, we have the opportunity to give what we have to God, to invest in multiple ways, in different and, and different ways, right? But we have this short little space on, on earth to think about how we live and then we'll spend eternity based on how we lived in our current lives. Now, <laughs> you know, if you're a smart person, and you were looking at the return on investment, the ROI, you would say, well, what is the ROI on living for this life right now? What's the return on investment? If all I ever do is just build my own kingdom and it's just, I, I, it's all about me and, and I'm just buying all the stuff that I want and, and it's all about me versus uh, I'm investing in eternal things, something that will outlast me, something that 
God cares so much about. And so if you were to t- look at your life and you say, I'm going to invest into everything in my life, maybe you'll experience some great things here, but you'll have eternity that you'll probably regret it. Because if you invest into the eternal things, it makes a significant difference. Now, how do you invest into eternal things? I submit to you that there are probably three ways that you can do that really well. Uh, First, you can give your time to the kingdom of God. You can give your talent to the kingdom of God. And in this parable, one of the things that we learn is that you can give your treasure to the kingdom of God. Three different ways that you can invest. Now, thank God we follow Jesus, who was so good at setting the example for us. He set the example by how he lived. In, and, and I can tell you this, Jesus came for one purpose, and we'll call that the gospel, right? So he came to set pe- people free from the power of sin that would rule their lives. And we love that message. It's such an incredible message. But if you were to ask Jesus, right, what did you ever give for the kingdom of God while you were on earth. Well, there was a lot of stuff that Jesus gave, but perhaps we could just focus on the end part of his life. He gave his life, his whole life to it. And we know this. And, and, and there's this conversation where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his, praying to his Father in heaven right before he's going to be, you know, arrested and taken to the cross. And when that happens, he says, is there any way that I can get out of this? Can this cup pass from me? God says, no, this is the only way. And then he says something interesting. Okay, well, not my will, but your will be done. And that is the tension that everyone will face in their life. There is a tension between our will and what we want to do and God's will and what He wants us to do. Jesus passed the test by always doing whatever God asked Him to do. But we can feel this tension. Sometimes what we want to do is we want to build our own kingdom. We want to build our own stuff. Meanwhile, God is pulling us and saying, hang on, wait a minute. There is something that I want you to build during your time on earth. And this is the realization that you come to eventually is that if you sow into the kingdom of God, it'll eventually cost you your own kingdom. If The more that you give to Him, the less you have for yourself. The more time you give to Him, the, the less time you have for other things. The more you sow your talent into the kingdom, the less time you have to leverage your talent for maybe other things in your life. The more treasure you give to the kingdom of God, the less treasure you have to, for yourself to, to buy your own stuff. And, and, and listen, I want to make this abundantly clear. There is nothing wrong with buying your own stuff. I mean, people need cars and houses and, and, and all of that's fine. But I'm, I'm just saying that there comes a point where God says, okay, I understand that. But when are you going to sow into my kingdom? When are you going to build something that's eternal? You know, one of the things that I've realized is that stewardship isn't just what you spend, it's where you spend it. It's not just about the percentage, it's about where it goes. And this is unimaginably important because God is saying, I want you to build my kingdom while you're on earth. That is something that every Christian is supposed to be very focused on. One of the things that I've discovered about life is this, is that your bills, your mortgage, your car payments, your kids' school fees, 
doesn't even matter what it is. There's all kinds of bills that we have. And those things demand our attention now. It's almost like they're yelling at us. They're like, you got to pay me now. Meanwhile, eternity just whispers. Think about tomorrow. What happens after this? What happens after you go? What are you leaving for future generations? It's just a whisper. And it's crazy. The reason it's crazy is because eternity, and I'm going to say something, oh boy, this is so important. You're going to be so glad you came to church today, right? Eternity lasts forever, right? I would think it seems kind of obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Eternity lasts forever. And if that's true, you would think that it would have our full focus. And yet, you know what? We look around the world, you know what we see? We see so many people completely focused on the here and now and forget that eternity really does mean forever. So in this parable, Jesus is saying a couple of things, but clearly he's saying the different people have different amounts, but we all have equal responsibility. Different people have different amounts, but we all have equal responsibility. Did you notice that the portions were in relation to people's abilities? That that's how the master distributed the talents? According to their ability. And sometimes what we find is that we have people that don't have much because they don't manage it well and they say, well, I want more. You have to look at what this parable is saying. Some of you might be even thinking right now, wait a minute. Oh, Pastor Ben, are you saying, (laughs) are you saying that if I manage what I have well, that God will give me more? Well, interestingly, the Bible does say a couple of things that might indicate yes, but I don't even want to talk about that this week because there is a far more pressing issue than that. Something really serious. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12. It says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, what is that? That's money. Who will entrust you with true riches? So that's not the real stuff. It's not true riches. It's just money. It's wealth. It's unrighteous wealth, right? But but what about the true stuff, the real stuff, the spiritual stuff? He says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? The myth that money isn't spiritual is busted. It's just not true. Because if you read the Scriptures, you will see that there is a cost to poor stewardship. And it's twofold. Here's the first cost. In eternity, you will pay a, a, a I don't want to say a price, but there is a reward that's proportionate to your temporal investment. So yes, in some way, in eternity, right, there is a, a, a penalty to pay in some way if you, if you steward your resources bad, okay? Here's the second part. And this is what I really want to focus on. There, there is a hidden cost. Eternity, yeah, sure. But the hidden cost is that you don't get the spiritual riches, the true wealth, the real stuff while you're on earth. You say, are you serious? Are you saying that if I mismanage my money, did God want to entrust me with true riches? That is exactly what the Scriptures are saying. See, look at this. In verse 26, it says that this servant is a slothful servant, a lazy servant. Here's what that word means in the original language. It means that that servant shrunk back Instead of stepping up, 
They were afraid, they were fearful, right? So what did they do? They protected what they had. They locked down, they kept it all to themselves. They never did anything with what the master gave them. And he says, you shrunk back instead of stepping up when you should have done it. And, and here's the thing, right? And I've understood this to be true. I mean, I've been around church for a long time. People are gonna tell themselves all kinds of things in order to enable them not to feel bad about not giving. They'll say all kinds of things. They can invent so many myths, right? But in the end, it costs you. That's everything that Jesus is saying. And I, you know what's funny is, is that even after looking at the Scriptures and everything that I've already said today, there'll be some people that say, well, I don't know about this. I still don't know about this. Come on, look at what it says. Handling money is a practical test of your spiritual maturity and it comes with spiritual consequences. And that's something that we need to be so aware of. In fact, in the book of Matthew, there are six times where he says, and in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The book of Matthew says that six times. Jesus said it every single time. Now that phrase, it means hell. That's what he's talking about. And so even I, like, honestly, sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, really? Because I looked at this parable and this is the sixth time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus says that phrase. So what I did is I thought, man, I, I need to, I want to really read this because is this saying what I think it's saying? This doesn't make sense. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. What, a, what about that? How does that work? And And I looked at this, I read eight commentaries on it. Here's what I think it means. At the end of the age, Jesus will come back and everyone will get a sit down meeting with him and he'll do an investigation. And here's what he will find. Christian people who have given Jesus their whole heart will willingly, joyfully, happily so into the kingdom of God with their time, their talent, and their treasure. And the non-Christian people, those that don't follow Him, right? Forget what they say, because He's going to look at their lives. The non-Christian people, regardless of what they say, He will look at how they spent their time, their talent, and their treasure And he'll look at those two things and he'll realize that those that don't really follow him are the same people that never really invest into his kingdom. And he uses this to sort them out. You know what? I I really believe this because if you were to be reading your Bible right now, right after this passage, if you read the very next passage, Jesus is going somewhere with this. There's a little heading at the top of my Bible and it says the final judgment. And in the very next verses, it talks about Jesus coming back. And in the first few verses, right after this parable, it says that Jesus will sort the sheep from the goats. What am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus will be able to look at our lives, look at our investment, look at what we did, and He will decide whether we are people 
that really follow him or not. Now, there are people today that go, well, hang on, like I really want to give and, and, and maybe I, I, I can't give into the kingdom with, with all the things that you're saying. Okay, well, that's not what I'm talking about. You know why? Because it says that he's able to look into our hearts and discern our intentions, right? But there are people that will just look for reasons to get out of it. And that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So what is my point? Well, here it is. You really do reap what you sow. So, you know, like make the smart play, right? You sow into the kingdom of God because it's spiritual. So, because I love you, because I care about you, and I really, I really mean this. Right? Let me ask you this question before you sit down with Jesus. Are you sowing your money into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want you to be overcome with guilt or anything. Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are like, no. Like, you know, the great thing about today is you've got an opportunity to change your mind, to change the direction that you're walking. So here's what I want to do as I finish. I just want to pray. I want to pray for two groups of people. Firstly, I just want to pray for anyone that wants to respond to this message. So why don't we do this? Let's pray. If you're here and you're watching online, you can just close your eyes and listen to these words. Dear Father God, we thank you so much that you love us, that you gave in abundance. You gave Jesus and he gave his life to start the church, to, to, to really advance not only the gospel, but, but your kingdom. It's all about what Jesus did. God, in response, what we want to do is wrap our minds around what you say is important. We, want to, we don't want to take our preconceived ideas about what we think is valuable and take it to you and say, here, have this. No, we want you to tell us what's important. So God, I pray that for each one of us, that we would make a decision today to grow, to learn. Help us to see that how we steward our resources is spiritual. And for anyone that says, God, I want to make a change in my life, I promise from this day forward that I'm going to sow into your house. I'm going to sow into your kingdom. God, I pray you'd meet them where they're at. I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd bless them. I pray that you'd supply seed to the sower. As long as they're sowing, I believe you're supplying. And so Father, I pray that you would just bless people. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.